back. I hope everybody is doing well and working hard. This is Jared Gossett, and this is Building Optimal Radio. Today, we have a special topic, one that's a personal passion of mine, personal study. Today, we're going to be talking about resolving conflict and about building relationship and influencing people in a productive, ethical manner, all of which is very, very critical to our businesses. It's something that I started studying a long time ago because I realized that while it's a great tool to have in life, it's also something that I think is magnified and amplified for whatever reason in our business. I think that perhaps the frequency and the magnitude with which we have to deal with some of these type of things is greater. So it really hits home to me, probably hit home to several of you all as well. Our guest to enlighten us on this topic is a man named David Wright, who is the CEO of Dale Carnegie Training of Austin and Houston. David was the youngest ever Dale Carnegie instructor that was ever certified And over the past 30 years, they've grown their offices. He now has this office in Austin. It's actually the fastest growing office in all of North America. Backing up for a second, I should clarify that Dale Carnegie is a training program that was founded by, well, obviously a man named Dale Carnegie, who was a very famous author. He wrote a book called uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People and another book called How to Stop Worrying and Stop Living. I think he might have wrote one or two others, but How to Win Friends and Influence People was one of my favorite books that I've ever read. And I've become a student of his more or less since then, just because I think his philosophies are so profound and beneficial. So with that said, I don't want to continue rambling on, but I think that you'll enjoy the episode. David is obviously an expert in the field and uh, his clients are numerous. He's got Dell, which is headquartered here in my hometown of Austin, Texas A&M, National Instruments, LegalZoom, and several others. So he's obviously a highly credible source to be enlightening us on this topic. Enjoy the episode. David, for those of us with no experience in the Dale Carnegie approach, how do you describe it? Well, I think a lot of people, when they think of Dale Carnegie, they think of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I think that title is pretty clear in terms of what we're about. It's uh, it's about relationships. So our approach to business and leadership and influence is really about relationship. So when I started, they gave me the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And they said, as a salesperson, that's your job right there. Win friends and then influence people. And it's in that sequence too, right? So uh, to be an influencer, it's really about how do I connect and build relationships with people? I'll tell you, I came across Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People probably, oh, I bet it was close to 10 years ago. And that was a life-changing experience for me, which is why I was so excited to have you on today. But I'll share with you my story. So I was brand new as a business owner in building homes and was just starting to build my team. And we had, I don't know, probably four or five people working with us. And I really had no business managing a team. I was still in my late 20s and didn't really have any experience with managing people. And we had these morning calls every morning to target all the different project metrics and make sure that we're on track, all that kind of stuff. So 
we had one one call and one project was running behind. And the first project manager I ever hired, he was my business partner's uncle, which I, I've got strong feelings now about, <laughs> about, about thinking through hiring family. But anyway, so we had this guy and he was a great project manager, great person, but the project was being delayed really probably, you know, to no fault of his own. But I don't know what got into me that morning, but I was just kind of lost my cool and, and just... I'm not typically this type of person, but I just, just lit into the guy on this call, which I just would never, ever do again. Yeah, this part yeah. of my life, I would never do that in front of people. I'm such a stupid mistake, but I just lit into him. And he's such a graceful guy that he probably took it a lot better than he should have. And, wow. and anyway, the next the next day, he and I were out just kind of huddled around my truck at a job site. And, and we never even really talked about it again. I should have probably straight up apologized or whatever. But uh, he's like, hey, hey, man, I got <laughs> I got something for you. I think uh, I think you, you're like, <laughs> and he goes to his his truck and he pulls out this uh, audio set of CDs and how to win friends and influence people. And I was like, what the hell is this, man? <laughs> I mean, it was so obvious why he was giving it to me and I just threw it like in the floorboard of my truck and it was just sitting there for like a few months I think one day I pulled it out and I was just probably bored driving stuck in Austin traffic or whatever and, and put in one of those CDs and literally like the first two or three or five minutes I start hearing all what they're saying and it's just one light bulb after another going off and I was just like oh my god this is uh <laughs> like this is these are such fundamental truths that make sense, but we just mm-hmm. live our lives without realizing them. And I'll tell you one thing, David. So I'm not a natural salesman. I, I'm an introverted guy. But after I found myself as the salesman for our company selling these homes, and after I listened to those CDs, I literally my interactions with potential buyers or whatever, like it almost went to like a hundred percent type close rate. And it was it was just because I was starting to build relationships with these people. And exactly. It, and yeah. it was you know what it was a lot more fulfilling too. I mean, it's a, it's a lot more fun doing something when you're truly engaging with people. And so I saw my success with my company go up big time. And then I also on the other side of it, resolving conflict with clients or whoever just became so much easier because I had a completely different playbook at that point. So anyway, that's my long-winded version of getting into the Carnegie Method. I'm sure you have some story as well about uh, about how you got into it. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> my story is a little different than most people's, but one of the things I just wanted to mention is I love you talked about how much more fun business is when you have relationships. And if you really connect with people, then when you show up to do the job, you're hanging out with your friends all day. And it's a, it's a whole different approach and way more enjoyable and energizing. My experience is completely different. I grew up in a Dale Carnegie household. I was seven years old when my dad took the Dale Carnegie course. He was absolutely transformed by it. Uh, he was a plant superintendent at a hospital, stationary engineer, and he had to do the safety meetings. And he was terrified to speak in public. And so he. Uh, right around that time, he'd, he'd gotten promoted to this role. It was his first pretty significant management role. He's having to do these safety meetings, and he kept trying to delegate it. And eventually, they said, look, Norm, it's your job. You got to do this. So he said, I did the first one. And somebody came up to him, a friend of his, came up afterwards and said, gosh, Norm, I hope you didn't feel as bad as you looked. So, <laughs> wow. so he said, I either was going to quit the job or I had to overcome this fear. And so he, right around that time, the Dale Carnegie guy had done a workshop at the hospital where he worked. And he said, you know what? I think that's the answer. And so the irony is he was just so transformed by it. He went on and became a trainer and my mother became a trainer. So I grew up in a household 
where both my mother and father were Dale Carnegie trainers. So if you could only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's got to be a well-functioning household, though. Uh, well, it, we, we did all right. We did all right. I know it, it probably just made me weird, too, because I have these expectations about how people interact that, that just is not always uh, aligned with the rest of the world. So, And now, actually, I've got uh, two of my own kids in the business, too. So, Wow, that's great. Well, I've got a four-year-old daughter that definitely trying to use utilize some of these techniques with so so hopefully it'll be be half as successful as your family was in trying to trying to implement some of those well i thought it was ironic when you said about hiring family i i just couldn't keep them out yeah (laughs) (laughs) getting off topic a little bit i know that some of the most beneficial fruitful working relationships can be with family i just i think that it has to be a very intentional structured approach going into it just because there's obviously so much downside risk and and different relationships can become conflated your business relationship and your personal so that was the reason i said that earlier because i've seen the other side of it I've seen it too, and it's really a challenge. The key is what we're talking about in these relationship principles are so vital. And it doesn't change just because it's your son or daughter-in-law or something that you can suddenly drop using these principles. You need to, in fact, maybe use them even more. Well, I want to talk about that for a moment. I want to talk about kind of the the, uh, the conflict resolution side of, of Carnegie's approach, because as you probably know, I mean, in the construction industry, there's a huge opportunity for conflict that's just bursting at the seams pretty much everywhere you you look. And there's so many variables that go into constructing a home, literally thousands. So many things that can change, so many things that can be miscommunicated or failed to be communicated. And these conflicts can easily occur between a general contractor and his or her subcontractors. But I want to especially focus on the conflict potential between a general contractor and his client. You know, the home is usually a client's most expensive investment of their lives. It's something that they dream about for a long time. It's a place where they're going to raise their families or they're going to retire. So the financial stress combined with the emotions of the process can just be off the charts during a project. So what can we learn from the Carnegie principles to best navigate these inherent, potentially explosive conflicts when they do arise? Nice. Well, you in reality... You actually describe it beautifully. The fact that you, the way you describe the situation tells me that you have this situational awareness. That's what I'd say is the key is that I think people oftentimes when they get into emotion-driven situations, they're looking at it just from their perspective, not from the other person's point of view. Like Dale Carnegie says, try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view, which also means understand not just the logic behind it, but he went on to say, be sympathetic to the other person's ideas and desires. So understand the emotional factors at play. So if you're in that potential conflict situation, just being aware that it's emotional and that it's emotional for them. I'm sure for the contractor, there's some emotion there, but you do this all day. This is just business, right? So being aware that there's emotions at play, that you're dealing with a human being. And when you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with creatures of emotion, not just creatures of logic. So that ability to recognize where are they coming from, what's their anxiety, and then how to communicate in terms of those. You know, you talk about the situational awareness, and I'll share another thing from my experience that was so transformational in my career was being aware of the situation when the conflict arises, my opinion, and I don't want to speak on behalf of 
of what you guys believe at Carnegie. But my opinion that really grew out of my understanding from Carnegie's approach is that anytime there's a conflict, there's, you know, we always hear there's two sides to every story. And so I try to step back and in almost every situation, not in every situation, but in almost every situation, even if the other person really is, I hate to use the word like more at blame, but just to simplify things, let's say that there's usually something that I could have communicated better or done a little differently in the past that I can learn from. And what I'll do is go back and if I find that thing, I will address it and point out what I could have done differently to them and apologize and say, I'm sorry. And the crazy thing is that by doing that, whenever you take a little blame in a situation and and truly authentically apologize or whatever, the tension just seems to completely diffuse. And it's so paradoxical from what we think, because typically you get into a defensive posture and you're trying to protect your pride and your ego. That's what we're designed to do in some ways. And if you go the other direction, it just really seems to melt the tension from my experience. You're living the principles we're talking about. It. So it's if you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically is what Dale Carnegie says. So the idea is that just takes all the fun out of the argument for him too, right? If you just, there's nothing there to left to argue about and it drops the defenses and people are willing to then have a conversation. You know, whenever you've got a conflict, there's two things at play. There's the issue itself and then there's the people involved. And the problem is that people try to go after the issue directly and they don't actually connect or relate to the people component. So if you you think about anytime you've had a anytime you've gone and bought something and then you went and returned it if if they just very quickly returned it because you weren't happy uh, and just said okay no problem out the door you go the reality is you've still got all this emotion no you don't understand I had to drive down here and you wasted all my time they need to actually say wow Jared. I'm really sorry. Tell me about, oh, this is terrible. And show some empathy so that you're willing to hear the rest of the story. And I think that's the part that's missing is sometimes we just fix the issue and we don't address the human factors involved. Right, right. When you do have that authentic interaction or apology, I've been thinking the whole time I was driving down there to return that item, how I'm going to light into them. And then you <laughs> exactly. just completely diffuse me when you say that. So. Yeah. And I, so I'm not satisfied. I, you got to hear my story. Yeah, right. <laughs> so just because right. there's emotion there. And it, that's just one scenario. But like you're describing when you're connecting uh, or have a potential conflict situation, it's the key is how do I recognize how that person's probably thinking and feeling and then make sure that I'm communicating in a way that's acknowledging that. Yeah. I think most people are pretty reasonable. Most people are pretty reasonable if you can acknowledge that there's a, a challenge from their perspective. Let me ask you this then. So what are typically some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making in their approach to conflict resolution? Well, I think we've kind of hit some of it. One is the, uh, that we know our stance. We know what we want pretty clearly, but we haven't thought about from the other person's perspective. So we, we get entrenched. And then the other is emotion just takes over. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people and said, okay, so if this wasn't you in this situation, what advice would you have for somebody else on how to handle it? And they can usually come up with a really rational <laughs> approach to it. It's kind of like what you're saying about the principles when you were first hearing them. And again, these are just truths. These are realities. I think we intuitively know that this is how people want to be treated, but the emotion gets in the way. Our ego gets in the way. We get angry, and then phew, all those principles go out the door. 
you know, one of the Carnegie principles, people just want to feel important. I think that that's a big component to, to conflict resolution or in the other side of it, the inability to resolve conflict. I think a lot of times our clients just want to be heard and a lot of conflicts can arise from them feeling like they are being ignored or the proper attention isn't being given to them or their concerns or whatever. And again, on those fronts of just simply trying to hear people and acknowledge what they're saying, it's almost always going to diffuse the situation to some extent. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay, I want to transition from talking about this conflict to talking about sales and winning new clients. What's the biggest mistake most salespeople make when they're trying to secure new clients? Oh, I see it universally. I actually had a sales manager put it this way once to me. He said, the problem with my sales team is they show up, throw up, and leave. So they basically <laughs> dump all this information. And we, we have this thought that if people just knew all this stuff, then they would buy from us. And reality is we buy from people we like and trust. So how you build trust, ironically, is not by talking about how great you are. It's by showing how interested you are in them. So by asking questions and really being a good listener, connecting with people, like we said, win friends first and then influence people. So uh, connect with people. Uh, people like people who listen to them. If you think about it, if you are genuinely interested in that person, you have common ground because they're genuinely interested in themselves. So <laughs> if you can show you're on the same side there, then they're going to like you. They're going to connect with you. That actually takes a lot of pressure off, too, if you think about it as a salesperson. I don't have to be the most dynamic, powerful communicator and have all my ducks in a row. What I have to be is somebody that cares about people and is interested in the other people and just really trying to help them get what they want. You said something that reminded me of the author, Robert, and I'm going to butcher his last name. I think it's Cialdini or Cialdini, some Italian last name. I don't know if you heard of him or his book, but he wrote a book on influence, actually several now, on influence. And he talks about similar concepts to Carnegie, but building rapport and how I think they've done some studies. But basically, building rapport isn't as hard as you think. It's almost kind of the way that our, our minds work psychologically. You can build rapport on a very small scale. Maybe you like somebody's shirt or their type of shoes they're wearing or whatever, and that can establish that necessary component of rapport that can lead to bigger relationship. Have you ever heard of that concept? Is that something you see in your practice? I think people like to like people. They want to be around people. Most people enjoy relationships, right? And the way to connect with people is just simply find something that they care about as well. And so it could be as small as I like your shoes. A lot of it is too, just the simple principles of focusing on others, uh, of course, approaching in a friendly way. Like there's a whole chapter on just smiling in Dale Carnegie. And it's uh, as simple as the concept is. I think oftentimes we get so caught up in our own anxiety about when we're trying to first meet people that we, we forget to be joyful. We forget to be the kind of person that somebody wants to get to know. Yeah. So if we're smiling, we're interested in other people, appreciation, those are all principles that really help in terms of building relationships, for sure. This whole concept of building relationships, I think it's easy for somebody to focus on this in terms of their role as a salesperson. I, I can use this to build relationships and get more sales. But for me, that feels a little maybe disingenuous. Like I, I think that 
it works, but I, I just think that it's important to approach this whole concept. And I think you get the better results. Like you get the better results if you just follow that probably to improve your sales. But I think if you can truly try to implement this in the spirit of trying to build authentic relationships and really uh-huh. focus on those relationships with your clients, that, that's going to be for me the most enlightening and fruitful route that you can you can take. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people make light of the title, how to win friends and influence people. It sounds like you're trying to do something to somebody. But if you think about it, if you're a salesperson, if you've won a friend, if this is your friend, what would you do? How would you help them? You would ask real questions. You would give them real advice. You would try to help them get what they want. That's what you would do for your friend. So I see that as the farthest from manipulation. I see that as the really connected to, uh, I care about you as a person. And that's why I love sales is that I get to make friends with people and I get to help them achieve what they want. It's a great service that, that we do. I mean, a lot of times people have hangups about selling. They think it's a trick. Well, if you treat it as a trick, then that's what's going to happen. Uh, but if you are genuine and uh, honest, like you were describing, then you build relationships and that's how your business will grow as well. Well, we've kind of hit on this already, but I, I want to just hit it dead on. The process of winning a new client in the custom home world is a long one. It can involve a lot of meetings with a potential client, their real estate agent or their architect, their engineer, et cetera. There are a lot of parties that can be involved. And then you're building budgets, refining budgets, and so on. So there's a lot more time that goes into the relationship before a sale is made than in a lot of industries. Sure. Does Carnegie have any special recommendations for us given the unique dynamics of our industry? You know, it takes time to build trust. And that's one of the advantages of having time. It takes time to build trust. Now, it only takes a second to lose it. So the key would be, be vigilant in terms of relationship. So whenever you look at, for example, you start going through budgets, you're negotiating and working through these things, there's always a balance. There's the quantitative versus the qualitative outcome that we're looking for, right? How do I make sure that I'm getting what I need. And as a, as a business owner, you have to be profitable. So it needs to be a win-win. But at the same time, I don't want to do that at, too much at the expense of the relationship and the qualitative aspect of it. If we have a profitable outcome and a great relationship, that's the ultimate goal. Remember that. that sometimes I think people take the short-term win at the risk of damaging the relationship when it's a longer process like that. So see it as a big picture, the whole thing, and then the the impact of your reputation on the business and those types of aspects. The downside is you've got a lot more opportunity to mess it up, but the good side is you've got lots of time to really build a deep, meaningful relationship. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I actually see and have seen a lot of people in the past that are playing for that short game. And it's never the most uh, profitable I hate to use profitable, but it's never the most profitable route long term. I maintain this belief that with almost every interaction, at least on some level, there's this undercurrent of influence that's transpiring. You know, every billboard we see or logo we see, even something so casual as when we're talking to our friends about where we want to go eat, something in that conversation somewhere, there's going to be the effect of influence. So, for me, you know, it feels like it's all around us all day long and it can be used for good or bad. Obviously, we want to focus on the good. When we do want to influence someone for good to see our perspective and to buy into our perspective, what are some foundational principles that we should be following? 
Yeah, I think the the key is always thinking long term, not short term, like we described, and the the concept around a, a win win. And uh, I think the biggest struggle is oftentimes we know what we want and what we think is important, but we haven't really taken the time to understand what the other person wants. And so the key, you can't make anybody do anything. Uh, Even when we talk about leadership, you can't motivate people. All you can do is align what you want with what they want. (laughs) And when you can figure out how to create that alignment, then you have influence. So it's not trying to get somebody to do something. It's more about how do I make sure that I understand what you need and want and then align what I want with it in a way that's successful for both of us. It's a skill that I think a lot of us as builders and remodelers really need to to master. And it took, I mean, I still have a really long way to go, but <laughs> I guess I've at least been studying it a little bit. And I think that a lot of us in the construction industry, we maintain this mindset of like, you know, maybe we've got to deal with a neighborhood and, and difficult neighbors on getting a permit, a building or construction permit pushed through. And, and our mentality oftentimes is, oh, well, this is my right per the state or per the city or whatever that, you know, I'm following the rules. I'm going to just push through and, you know, screw the neighbors in the neighborhood. I don't care. And we take that approach and it goes back to kind of that short term. Maybe you can get through it short term, but then, you know, now you're going to have a lot of enemies or more enemies than you would if if you'd taken a little different approach. And what I've found is that literally just in terms of those type of situations in our profession and industry where influence can can help you or your project, it's literally just like sitting down with the people. You don't have to follow some of their what will inherently be absurd requests or recommendations. You don't have to agree to all of them or any of them or whatever, but literally just sitting down and listening is going to get you a lot further down the road. I've, I've seen it firsthand over the last five years as we've had various projects with neighborhoods and zoning committees and that kind of stuff. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Trust is the building block, right, for a relationship. And, you know, a lot of times people think, I don't have time for that. Like what you're describing, I got to get this project done. I got to get out the door. I get this thing done. Going around and holding everybody's hand, I don't have time for that. That's kind of the mindset. Well, the reality is, if you can get buy-in from everybody, your time is going to move much more rapidly. You're going to get things done seamlessly. Whereas if you damage a relationship that at every turn, you're going to have opposition. So it looks like a shortcut. And in reality, you're creating a backlog of work for you that you're going to have to deal with later. So if you invest in the people and the relationship up front, that's really the secret. I would imagine in your industry, people take pride in in their work. And I see it a lot in a lot of industries with technical skills are so highly valued. Well, you can do great work and you can be technically gifted. But we see it all the time that people who have those technical skills often don't advance because they don't have that ability to communicate those skills or show those skills in a context that's relevant to other people. So you can do beautiful work, but you know maybe that's why sometimes artists aren't famous till after they die. Because uh, <laughs> then their work can speak for itself and the relationship doesn't matter. But you know if your ability is, uh, is also to be skilled, but then connect with people, those are the people who really, really move forward. Well, I was thinking with a home builder too, you, you could do beautiful, beautiful work, but if your reputation is you're difficult to work with, then you're not going to have a lot of business. These skills that we're talking about today, it's not something that you just hear and you implement and then, and then you're done with it, which by the way, let me step back and say that once you do hear them and understand them, 
you put them into practice. I know firsthand now that it is exponential results you do see very quickly, but they still, like any skill, they require a lot of lot of refinement and over the years. Uh, I still have a really long way to go. But for those of us who want to build these skills over time and continually hone them, where do we go? How do we go about that? Well, we we have uh, actual programs that happen right here in our offices in Round Rock, but we have them in a variety of uh, locations around Austin. The key that you described is it's not just knowing, it's doing. It's being able to practice and apply. And then the only way to build a skill like we're talking about is through practice. And then you also can gain that skill much more rapidly if you have some coaching. So we have programs like the Dale Carnegie course itself, which meets once per week for several weeks, actually 12 weeks, so that you've got time to really embed these skills, make them part of who you are. I would say investigate one of the Dale Carnegie programs so that you've got time to actually not just read the book, because if the book did it alone, uh, my dad used to say this too, if, if, if the books were the answer, then the library would be the most happening place in town. The reality is it gives you the base, the information, but it's the application of that knowledge. Dale Carnegie said that too, that knowledge isn't power. It's the application of knowledge that's power. So being able to do something with it. So I would say investigate some of the programs that are available here in Austin. You can go to austin.dalecarnegie.com and take a look at the programs that are coming up. And we have things that vary in length and time and investment. Uh, or you can give us a call at 512-349-7000. All right, great. Well, I think that uh, your program will will definitely be beneficial for a lot of us here in Austin and in Texas. We've got a lot of listeners here. Uh, we also have some in other countries. We've got uh, some in, in Australia and the UK. I, I suppose there are other programs, Dale Carnegie programs in other countries internationally too that people can- We're in 93, 93 countries. <laughs> wow. So yeah, if you okay. just go to dalecarnegie.com and then drill down by location. So- yeah. Or if you can find an excuse for me to go to Australia, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, that would be a good reason to go. I'd love it. Me too. Me too. I might join you on that. There you go. David, how do we best find you in your organization? The website, austin.dalecarnegie.com and uh, reach out to us that way. That That's fantastic. Give us a call. I'm on LinkedIn. If somebody wants to connect, I'm happy to connect as well. Well, hopefully we can all start implementing these uh, principles and, and uh, sleep a little better at night. Enjoy life more. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. <laughs>